Hello everyone, I'm Captain Logan and this is Superhero Rewind. It seems to me that the best superhero films are those that also manage to effortlessly fall into some other category. That isn't to say that most superhero movies don't also fit into other genres, but a lot of them fall into the same genre, action films. Iron Man is a movie with action in it, but its more important elements are comedy, drama, and corporate espionage, and it balances all three of those very well. Part of its success is that it doesn't fall into the same tired superhero formula, and that makes it more real than some other superhero movies. Iron Man is a superhero most people had heard of before the movies, but he didn't have the fan base Batman, Superman, or Spider-Man have. Few who aren't die-hard Marvel fans could probably name more than one member of his rogues gallery. So rather than trying to live up to Iron Man's legacy, director Jon Favreau introduced viewers to it, and with Robert Downey Jr., he created a Tony Stark who was extremely faithful to his comic book counterpart, yet somehow a little more likable, a little more fun, a little crazier, and perhaps even more relatable. It's unusual that a comic book movie would set the precedent for what should be done with a decades-old character, but that's exactly what has happened with Tony Stark, especially with the successful Invincible Iron Man title. I don't think you can underestimate the craftsmanship both in the writing and the acting in turning Tony Stark into a likable and relatable protagonist. I'd go as far as to saying that it's about the most likable superhero brought to screen. That's really impressive if you think about all the strikes he has going against him from the get-go. Number one, he makes weapons for the government. Nobody likes war, and a lot of people don't like the government. Number two, he's rich. It's instantly difficult to find a rich person relatable, especially millionaires or billionaires. And by the way, if we have even one viewer who is a millionaire, I'd really like to know about it. The first thing moviegoers will usually think about rich protagonists is that their problems are nothing compared to other people's. After all, they're rich, so what do they have to worry about? And just some food for thought, how many Oscar-nominated and winning films are about poor people? Generally speaking, people who are physically down on their luck are easier to make sympathetic. And number three, he's arrogant. This is the real kicker. Tony Stark is rich and he's self-absorbed, and yet I find him both likable and relatable. So why don't these three strikes turn people off to Robert Downey Jr.'s Tony Stark? Let's look at them. Number one, his company makes weapons. He sells the U.S. military the most state-of-the-art weapons there are, and the world is safer because hostile countries know they can't compete. It's evident from the beginning that his heart is in the right place. He doesn't make weapons because he wants to hurt people, he just believes they're a necessary evil to making an imperfect world as safe as it can be. It's important that he learns within the first half hour that his weapons are falling into the wrong hands, so that he can begin a character arc that will bring him out of that naivety. He's made especially sympathetic when he comes back from his captivity and immediately announces that Stark Enterprises is getting out of weapons manufacturing, despite a stock plunge and nearly everyone finding his decision insane. Number two, he's rich. Despite Bruce Wayne's money, fans care about Batman because his tragic past leads him to clean up the crime in his city. Main characters need to be proactive, and if your character has vast resources at his disposal, then he needs to be doubly proactive. Tony Stark doesn't get a tragic past, but his experience getting kidnapped by terrorists who have gotten a hold of his weapons and try to force him to make more caused him to become proactive about a problem he helped start. This really separates him from other superheroes and makes him real, because he doesn't put on a costume to stop random crimes. Every time we see Tony Stark as Iron Man, he's either defending himself or trying to clean up his own mess. If he had a motto, it could be, with great mistakes come great responsibility. Number three, he's arrogant. 
Yeah, but he's also really witty, charming, and charismatic. True, his arrogance is a character flaw, and he never loses that. This movie is about him coming to terms with his naivety. He has so many character flaws, he can only combat one per film. This trait is a source of much of the film's comedy. It makes him impatient and careless, which is why he slams himself into a wall the first time he tries out his repulsor technology, why he tries to fly moments after he's just getting the hang of hovering, and why he does dangerous experiments next to really expensive cars. At first, I thought this was taking his eccentricity too far. No one, no matter how rich, would really act like this, right? But then there's the scene where he tells Pepper to throw away his first miniature arc reactor, the one he built to keep his heart going while he was in the cave. He says he isn't sentimental, so he doesn't care about keeping it. So even though he throws his money around, none of his expensive cars and toys really means anything to him. If he breaks or loses anything, he can just buy another one. And in the cave, the man who assists him in building his first Iron Man suit, after learning he has no family, says he's a man who has everything and nothing. Tony seems perfectly aware of this, and that makes him a little sad, even while we're laughing at him. It's also hard for me to be too irritated with someone for being arrogant who is brilliant enough to build a robot suit and an arc reactor, as, I, as Obadiah puts it, in a cave with a bunch of scraps. I love Stark's relationship with Pepper Potts. This, like the origin, is another common superhero movie element that isn't done in the same way we've seen a dozen times before. She's the love interest, but in a very subtle way, and though it's clear they have feelings for each other, they don't really wind up together at the end. They look like they've known each other for years, and Favreau made a good move by allowing Paltrow and Downey to ad-lib dialogue in their scenes together. They often interrupt and talk over each other, and that helps make their relationship real. I like how Pepper is used to Tony's arrogance, but still calls him on it, and Tony acknowledges this flaw repeatedly, but never manages to change it. Unlike the typical girl in a superhero story, she also isn't okay with his being Iron Man. And even when he convinces her not to resign, it's still obvious this isn't something she'll take lightly, a theme that is built on heavily in the sequel. This is also a movie that tightly weaves its themes together. It's careful not to get too heavy in its subject matter, nor to present its ideas in superficial terms. It very easily could have been just another anti-war movie. Tony Stark could have done a complete 180-degree turn after his experience in the cave. He was pro-weapons, now he's anti-weapons. But that wouldn't have been realistic. Instead, he still makes and uses weapons, but he goes after the people who are misusing his technology. Yes, Iron Man kills people because he's in a war zone where unarmed people are being removed from their houses and shot in the streets. Nothing is presented as black and white in this movie. I've heard the criticism that Iron Man is uneven in its tone. Sometimes it's very dark, and sometimes it's very lighthearted. I can see where that comes from, but it works for me because Tony Stark has to go to a dark place before he can begin his character arc. So the movie starts with the status quo. Tony drinking, gambling, sleeping with women, making Rhodey wait three hours at his private jet, being generally irresponsible in every way. These scenes are funny, but they also show us that while Tony seems to be living the good life, he's missing a sense of purpose. Then he gets kidnapped and the tone shifts. This makes sense because we have to experience Tony's despair to appreciate his development. When he returns, things get more lighthearted. The tone shifts, but I don't find it jarring. If he spent all his time after the cave brooding, the movie wouldn't be any fun. And if he was constantly cracking jokes in the cave, the movie would seem silly. Because Tony builds a device to keep the shrapnel from getting in his heart, the word heart comes up a lot in dialogue and becomes another theme of its own. This could have been sappy, but like Pepper and Tony's relationship, it's subtle and worked in craftily. 
Pepper keeps the first miniature arc reactor even though Tony doesn't want it, and cleverly puts a sign on it that says, proof that Tony Stark has a heart. Later, after she catches him taking off the Iron Man armor, she asks him why he has to fight the people who are misusing his weapons. She almost resigns over it, not wanting him to get himself killed. And then he says, I know in my heart this is what I have to do. I love that. He reminds her, perhaps unknowingly, that he really is a compassionate person and his conscience won't let him ignore what's going on. He really does have a heart. After we learn that Obadiah Stane is the one who sold weapons to terrorists, he tells Pepper, Tony left a part of himself in that cave. It breaks my heart. That's great, because he's completely insincere, and it's obvious by this point that he has no heart. And finally, Obadiah later says he wants to build a generation of weapons with this at its heart, the arc reactor, the thing that symbolizes Stark's humanity, used by Obadiah for purely selfish and inhumane purposes. The only real complaint I have is that final fight between Tony and Obadiah, or I should say Iron Man and Iron Monger. It's the only thing in the movie that feels like a cliché retread. The big bad guy in a last-ditch effort to kill the hero fights him conspicuously out in the open. If Obadiah was the brutish, kill-everything-in-his-path kind of villain, it wouldn't be a problem. But we didn't even know he was the villain until well over halfway through the movie. He's been strategic and calculating about everything. He's managed to sell weapons under the table without Stark knowing about it. Even after Stark escaped from the cave, it was over two months before he discovered Obadiah was the one who hired the Ten Rings to kill him. Robert Downey and Jeff Bridges have excellent chemistry and really seem like they've been friends and colleagues for years. So it's a real surprise, at least if you don't know who Obadiah Stane is from the comics, when we find that he's scheming to kill Tony and take the company for himself. I really resist the big fight because even in desperation, I find it hard to believe that this guy would put on his big ironmonger suit and fight Stark out in the open. What would he do if he killed Tony? Hope the giant suit never got traced back to him, even though only a handful of people could possibly have access to that technology? It seems like it's only there because it's a superhero movie and there hasn't been enough action yet, and Pepper Potts needs something else to do. Even though, in my opinion, helping Tony put his arc reactor back in his chest, stealing files from Obadiah, and questioning Tony's sanity already make her plenty integral to the story. Add to that silly action movie lines, which the film manages to avoid until the end, like when Obadiah yells, Impressive! You've upgraded your armor! And I just feel like Obadiah is an is an entirely different character, and I'm watching a whole other movie. Having said that, Tony revealing to the world that he's Iron Man is unexpected and brilliant. It's one of the most memorable endings to a film I've seen. I'm giving Iron Man a 3.5 out of 4. It's surprisingly entertaining and socially relevant, and it deserves all the fame it's achieved, but it's better at pacing its comedy and drama than integrating its action. Bye.